0: Hello everybody, this is Kevin Witham, and welcome to season two of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone-Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one, so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 81 of the Common Grounds Unity podcast and our series on spiritual formation. We're excited to have Alan Fadling back with us for the last episode of the series and Casey Tigrett as our co-host and uh, was a previous participant in the podcast. So we're excited to have him back with us. Kevin Witham will be back next week. So Kevin, we know you're listening and we miss you. So, but Casey, thanks for joining us and, um, To our listeners, I want to remind you of our scheduling change. We're now releasing new episodes on the first and third Friday of every month. And if you're new to the podcast, feel free to go back and listen to some of the episodes uh, from the last year and a half. And I think uh, we've had some really fantastic guests. So um, we're hoping to create some special events once per quarter, like a live Zoom event. If you all have ideas uh, as listeners on what you would like for us to do or people you'd like for us to interview, then you know, feel free to reach out to us. Um, We have a Facebook group. You can email us. Um, Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Lastly, if you think Common Grounds Unity is making a difference, then we would encourage you to support this ministry with a monthly donation of any amount, and you can see the link in the show notes. We're excited that Alan's back with us, and I gave a longer introduction in the last episode, but briefly, Alan is the president and founder of Unhurried Living, Inc. in Mission Viejo, California inspiring people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. He's a certified spiritual director and the author of An Unhurried Life and An Unhurried Leader, and has a third book coming out that I'll ask him about before our podcast is over um, that I think sounds so exciting. So he and his wife, Jim, live in Mission Viejo, California, and host a podcast called The Unhurried Living Podcast. Alan, welcome back. Casey, welcome back.
2: Thanks. Good to be here.
1: So... Uh, Alan, Dallas Willard spoke about the ruthless elimination of hurry. And we live in a culture filled with hurry and most leaders likely run towards a hurried life rather than elimination of hurry. There's something about our value as in how in a hurry we are. So help us understand the wisdom of of eliminating hurry as followers of Jesus and as leaders within his church. And I really appreciate in the last episode, Casey pointed out that this practice is really not just for leaders in the church. It's because God's created all of us with, like, a specific purpose, and so, so with the way that we're created, how can we, how can we step into eliminating hurry?
3: Yeah, well, I just remember the first time I heard that phrase. It was reading it in John Ortberg's book, you know, "The Life You've Always Wanted," and he was talking about, you know, his experience of uh, going to Dallas for some counsel and trying to get some good spiritual direction for a next step he was getting ready to take. And so he kind of had his tablet out and his pencil ready, and he was waiting just for all kinds of great Dallas nuggets. And Dallas ended up having just one thing to say to him. uh, You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And when I heard that the first time, I just thought that is one of the most potent pieces of spiritual counsel I may have ever heard in my life. Uh, because it puts ruthless up against hurry. Because hurry is ruthless in itself. It, it really is. And so there's a few things here. One is I think we have to come to grips with the fact that we live in a culture that values hurry and devalues anything slow. We just, if you can do it quicker, do it quicker. And we just take that and we run with it faster and faster. We turn that treadmill up to five miles an hour and then six and seven and eight and pretty soon we are frantically sprinting with no apparent way to get off. Hurry is literally killing some of us. It is literally doing harm to our bodies. It is doing harm to our souls. We profoundly overestimate the value of stuff we do and completely underestimate the value of who we are and who we're becoming. I don't know about you, but if I think about the people who've had a spiritual impact in my life, I almost never think about a thing they did. I almost always think about who they were, the kind of person they were, the way they treated me with care, the way they were available to me, the way I remember the guy who led me to trust in Jesus 40-some years ago. He just had time for me. He just had time for me, unhurried time. I was in his house. Relationship. So I just think we have to acknowledge that faster is rewarded and slower is looked down on. In fact, if you look in the dictionary, the word fast, all the definitions are very positive and peppy sounding. If you look up the word slow, it's things like dumb and, uh, well, it gets worse from there. And so it's just a cultural reality, you know, that we have got to, we've got to acknowledge. See, hurry may help us get a lot of stuff done, but I wonder if when we look back from it a year later or five years later, we're still going to care about the stuff that we got done. I can't remember most of what I did in my early years of ministry, nearly forty years ago, but I can remember people, and I have still have got conversational relationship with some of those people. So. Anyway, I just think um, hurry, hurry is just doing more harm than good, and we just don't realize it.
1: Sometimes when we're in a hurry too, we forget what we're doing. Like you're going so fast, you're moving whatever, and then it's just like, what What am I doing? Where am I going? What, you know? So that's the same thing of like that's a whole other part. But the fact that we're going fast is fantastic, even Mm -hmm. if we're not really sure where we're going or or why we're hurrying for what purpose. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, I walk into a room and forget why I was there. I, I better start walking slowly because if I'm forgetting when I'm hurrying, I'm going to forget anyway. So there's a double, double risk there for, for all of us. Yes. (laughs) I love that you said that about remembering people. And I feel like what we talked about spiritual formation, a lot of us, talk about that in terms of a person or a book that really introduced the concept and open our eyes to it. Uh, There are people that we could mention, you and I, Alan, that have impacted us. Dallas would be one, Richard Foster, another. Trevor Hudson is one for me, is a tremendous Mm -hmm. influence. Ruth Haley Barton, even within the restoration movement tradition, there are people who you could name that you ran into at the North American or whatever. that just had this deep impact on you. And of course, one of those is Dallas. And I joke sometimes when I do retreats that I can't really talk for a long without quoting Dallas. Um, it's sort of a prerequisite. But you talk about in Unhurried Leader about Dallas and some realizations you had at his memorial service. And I, I thought these were really powerful. And you said, you, you actually had a chance to lay a rose down uh, as part of the memorial service. You said, as I laid a rose down, I didn't think about a talk I'd heard Dallas give, one of his books that I've read, or an amazing insight I gained from his teachings. I found myself remembering the kind of person he was. I didn't think of his accomplishments, but his manner, his character. The prayer that bubbled up within me was, Jesus, I would love to be the kind of person Dallas has been. And I feel like right now, leadership in general, we're we're kind of at this time where character and leadership, the 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 intersection of those two things is under some pretty intense scrutiny. And I believe being responsible for what we do a lot of times leads to that hurry. But there's also the character piece that goes along with it. And there's a formational life that supports, but I mean our language our language is built to say fast is good, slow is bad. So, and we're supposed to develop great character in the midst of that. And I think we're seeing in leadership in some ways, the fruit of what happens. So how does a a leader or someone who's working, how does a a leader or a stay-at-home mom or whomever, how do they attend to the sometimes crushing responsibilities they have while attending to the character formation that creates people like Dallas and the folks that have really had an impact on us? Uh, especially even, and I would add this, I know it's a big question already, but mm-hmm. especially when the people around them have a very different set of measures for yeah. what they are supposed to be.
3: Well, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a really nice big question. Um,
2: <laughs> I'm glad you're answering it and not me. I get yeah. to ask it and then mute myself.
3: <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. Well, so I think, you know, we're living in a time where maybe most of us, I'm 61. I don't know if I've ever felt like my life is more compressed or uh, dense. There's the word I would use. My life feels as dense as it has ever felt. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I remember riding my stingray around the streets of a suburb in Sacramento. The, uh, The phone was wired to the wall. The television had three channels. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There was a spaciousness, even to my experience. Now I have a a device the size of a deck of cards that can keep me connected and make me virtually omnipresent to everyone on the planet. I just This is a different world in which we're living. So one, what I think I want to say is I want to take a step back from that and decide how much I want to be involved in all of those realities. Some of the density is of my own doing. When, when, the, when the phone is my autopilot mo, uh, look, when I have a down moment, I'm not helping myself. If I never have a moment of boredom, if I never have a moment where I'm not doing something, I may be doing myself harm. Now that can be true for any of us, even say in that tunnel of early childhood parenting. Like, oh my goodness, is there any more dense a season than that? I I remember when our boys were all single digit age. Now they're all 20 something. So to just back out now from that, what I want to say is my first value is to say, we are following an unhurried savior. That was the case I tried to make in the first book, An Unhurried Life. Hurry may be bad because it's not good for our bodies. True. Hurry may be bad for any number of reasons, but hurry is especially bad because it's out of character with the person of Jesus. That is what I want to say. I think hurry and unhurry are factors in our discipleship to Jesus. Jesus has time to stop when his disciples do not. Jesus has time when the crowds get their largest and crush him, to withdraw to lonely places to pray i think there are just all kinds of hints in the rhythm of jesus that even in his day minus cell phones and minus all kinds of contemporary technologies that accelerate our lives still he lived less hurried than the people around him he lived i would argue at the pace of love of grace of peace and and such and so what i want to say is that we just have to ask ourselves is the way i'm living this life I have with the responsibilities that fill it, is it, am I learning how to live it in the spirit of Jesus? And so for me in each chapter of my life from, you know, uh, being new, uh, relatively newly married, no kids, and then young kids, and then building my career as a person in ministry and all the different chapters, hurry has had a different flavor and a different challenge at each one. But it has been possible to experiment with living unhurried in each of those chapters. But again, I think it takes imagination. So for me, um, the thing I always want to say uh, is that it's become a conviction for me that in our culture, work comes first, and then rest is the thing you collapse into when you run out of gas. I think in the scriptures, rest comes first, and then we work from that place of rest. I think that is an, one of the most important countercultural kingdom insights that I have to offer. And I have it to offer because the scriptures have it to offer. I, I just think we rest because it's the place we remember who we are. We rest because it's the place where we can give God our full attention. And then we work with all our hearts in the presence of God, with God, from a place of fullness rather than from a place of empty. So anyway, now I think I'll step off my uh, soapbox and I'll hand it back to you.
1: You know, you have just outlined some of the benefits of adopting the spiritual rhythms of, of living a life focused on unhurriedness and rest and things like that. I wonder, Alan and Casey, you could speak to this as well. Like, what role does community play in this s- spiritual formation? Like, how can how can we be, how can we in community, like, support one another in this?
3: Yeah, I, I certainly think from my side, um, I would not be living the life I'm living if it weren't for other people. Um, if it weren't for people encouraging me. Uh, praying for me, listening to me when I'm depressed or anxious or discouraged, uh, walking alongside me when my spiritual disciplines felt like eating dry sawdust and didn't feel like they were doing anything for me. Um, Those are all experiences I've had even in the last year. Uh, And so I need other people. I was not made, even with solitude as an important spiritual practice, I, in a sense, I practice solitude in the context of a community of others. And so I just think it's really important that the scriptures are written mostly to a community, not mostly to individuals. And so the, even the assumption of the New Testament is that we will live this way uh, together. So I, that's at least a, a little bit of why, to me, community is critical.
2: Yeah, the I'm always drawn to the fact that it takes for you to practice the majority of Jesus's teachings requires other people. Um, you know, the whole forgiving and loving things it requires a person who needs forgiveness and who needs loved, and so without others, it's very difficult to actually practice the teachings of Jesus. But I also think community gives us permission. Uh, they're the people who come around us, and when we feel like. I just, you know, Sabbath rest is, I don't, I shouldn't, I just, I'm, I haven't done enough to merit that or like, it's a bad decision. They're the ones who go, no, no, go, go. And then they make it possible for us. A community makes it possible for us to do that. So they do that. And they, they also, they're the ones who sort of hold up the mirror when we need it and say, do you know that you said this and how it sounded? And there's that, that character shaping piece that that goes into it that only another person who loves you and who has your best in mind can actually, can actually provide. So I, I think that's, that's bigger than like prayer and meditation. There's the talking to another person and not being a jerk, um, which we've lost, I think a little bit because of social media, we've forgotten how to talk to each other in a way that embodies each other and pretends that's pretends that that's a person on the other side. Uh, made in the image of God, whom Christ dwells in and delights in. So that's really important. Alan, you have a new book coming out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And what I love is that I, I remember talking to you about this book as it was coming together and um, that it's different than your others. Um, mm-hmm. It's from an incredibly, significantly personal place. Uh, not mm-hmm. that the other ones weren't, but this is this is deeper. Can you talk a little bit about that project and uh, what has happened in you as a result of of doing the project that you're about to describe to everybody?
3: Yeah. So the next book that's coming out, InterVarsity, it'll come out in December. The title of it is A Year of Slowing Down. And you could, if you just use a popular label, you could call it a devotional. Um, I'd like to think it's more than that. I envisioned it as one year of opportunities for some daily five-minute retreats. Um, What I hoped for was an opportunity to slow down each day and just reflect on some value of the kingdom. Um, The book itself, you know, comes from over 30 years of personal journal. On the very first day, I set aside some extended time with God at the invitation of my mentor. I wrote page one of my journal. That journal now is on page 11,400 and something. So it's thousands of pages and millions of words. And all of these daily readings are from that journal. Uh, I just went back and reviewed and ransacked and pulled what felt like meaningful moments or meaningful insights. But I hope that as a result, it's something more embodied than just sort of a nice little inspirational something to get your day rolling. I hope that it'd be a little glimpse into the kingdom each day. So as I said, that book will come out uh, in December, and it sort of closes out the unhurried trilogy, I guess you could say.
1: Well, I'm excited to uh, wait for that. And um, I I also am super interested in you sharing a little bit more about the podcast, You and Your Wife Jem, um, host called the Unhurried Living Podcast. Um, can, will you just take a few minutes to share why that's important? You've been doing it for five years. That's a lot of investment of time and resources. And um, so what are some realizations? Who are some of your favorite guests? And tell us more about that.
3: Yeah. So uh, first, I have to say that uh, the podcast would not exist if it were not for my wife, Jim. Uh, if it not for her, I would still be sitting in my office reading books by authors I enjoy instead of talking to authors about the books that I enjoy. <laughs> so she's the spark plug. She's the initiator. She's the one who had that vision. But as we started it, what we... What we thought would be the opportunity was we were having all of these great conversations in the context of retreats and conferences, and we thought, what would it be like if we could let people in on those kinds of conversations? And so at first, the first many episodes, if you go back and listen to the first um, few, quite a few of them were just conversations Jim and I were having about various themes related to unhurried life and living. Over time, I began to realize that interviewing others who were writing on intersecting themes would be really uh, good. And so I just have a lot of fun talking with friends like, you know, Casey here and, and others who are writing in the same neighborhood or intersecting neighborhoods of ideas. And again, my, my desire is to create a, an environment, a kind of kingdom hospitality um, for people to listen in on. Again, I said earlier, I think we underestimate the importance and the value of who we are becoming. This is what I would love to see leaders giving more time to. Watch your life and your doctrine closely is one of the ways Paul said it to Timothy. Watch your life. What's your life? It's who you are. We, uh, many of us in ministry roles, are neglecting our lives in the thought that we are committing ourselves to caring for people but if we're not caring well for ourselves we're in no position to care for people we haven't anything to give them we may actually be burdening them with our own weariness or our own discouragement or our own exhaustion and so we need to be people who are living in the abundance of the kingdom so that the overflow of that life might actually be the ministry that we serve others in and that's that's kind of one of the big ideas that we often uh, turn to In the podcast. So, like I said, we've been doing just a little over five years. We have 200 some episodes. Um, We've had some wonderful uh, conversations. This fall, we'll air a conversation I had with Ruth Haley Barton about her newest book on Sabbath and sabbatical. That was a wonderful conversation. A few months ago, I had a chance to talk to Sister Joan Chittister, who's a Benedictine. She was in Ireland, I was here. And she is delightful when uh, she was talking about her book on Benedictine spirituality. And she said, this is the book I've waited my whole life to write. So to have those kinds of conversations uh, with John people
1: Chittister is the best. I really I, I'm going to go back and find that one because that she yeah. is fantastic. I hope people I, I love when guests mention people or books or resources that are n- new to lots of us. Um, and it just opens a new door. When you said Joan's name, it just made me so excited because I, I found her kind of on accident and she's fa- yeah. fabulous. Sorry, go ahead. Um but no, no. that's a great example of a, a great guest.
3: It it was a it was a wonderful opportunity and she was so kind and gracious and wise, the sort of sage presence you would expect her to be if you happen to come across any of her books. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, that's a little bit about it. I think, again, we try to live at the intersection of spiritual formation and leadership. That's always been a high value for us. So I'm always trying to kind of ask questions that draw that out of a particular author and and their book. So, and then maybe the, the, the greatest benefit I have gained personally has been an experience of. The, the fact that the Spirit of God is doing similar work in the lives of other leaders who may come from slightly different neighborhoods of the church than I find myself in, but still are lovers of Jesus and followers of Jesus and, and seeking to live their lives well in honor of God. And so I think getting a feel for the reality that Jesus really is head of a church that is bigger than the church I've experienced, that has been a real gift for me
2: ellen, um you're you're a person who has in your life, done the work of preaching, mm-hmm. as I have, and others have, and and always the question we're asking ourselves that we think the people are asking us at the end is, okay, so what?" And uh, I'm curious if someone hears our conversations and is just inclined to jump into this journey of formation, this unhurried life in in earnest. Are there some resources you would recommend for them as they begin to step out of the hurry and into a, a gentler, holier pace? Whether that's uh, books, uh, practices, if there's a, a you know a way of a way of connecting with someone that you think might be helpful for that, what what would you guide as a would you direct people towards if they were really serious about engaging in this journey of of unhurried living and formation?
3: Well, you know, certainly I could invite them to our website. We have a weekly email that my wife or I uh, write. We write them with the intention, uh, again, of giving people a space to stop in the midst of their busy lives and maybe catch a vision of something that echoes the kingdom. I certainly could recommend the books that I have written. My wife actually has a book coming out this month as this episode airs called Hold That Thought, Sorting Through the Voices in Our Heads. And it's a wonderful resource with questions at the end of the chapter. So there are plenty of books, you know, my wife and I both. There there will be six of them by the end of next year. Um, uh, The thing I would say is start by remembering that you are first invited into relationship with God, not first into service. There are a lot of Christian leaders, whether they are in religious settings or serving as, religion, you know, as Christian leaders in any number of workplaces. And they imagine the first thing Jesus is doing is giving them a job. But the first thing Jesus is inviting us to is relationship. And in that relationship, then, we do the work we do. To me, that's a vision thing that you've got to start with. If you believe that, then having time in your life that's set aside to enjoy and cultivate that relationship only makes sense. It's why I don't usually start with practices or resources, because you can actually engage those without the vision of what it is that you're doing. Um, I have read many books thinking I was proving how smart I was or how faithful I was and hoping God was impressed. I I have done that. Um, I have practiced spiritual practices, hoping that this was raising my value in the eyes of the Father. So I always think that to start with the vision, I'm being invited. There's a little chapter in An Unhurried Leader. Rooted in Isaiah 55, and there's four verbs, those first few verses that I think are verbs that could describe how God's inviting us. Those four verbs, the first is come. In a world that is go, 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 Jesus is first saying, come. Every single day, he's saying, come, come to me, come follow me, come be with me. This is what Jesus is longing for. And then, yes, we move into our day and join him in the work he does, but come to him. And then once we've come, the second verb in that passage is listen. We don't come and talk. We don't come and um, try to do our little dance of impressing God. And we listen. We receive what God would like to say. We, We hear the voice of God in Scripture. We hear the Spirit speak to our hearts. We see the message of God and the beauty of what he's made in creation. We listen. And then having listened, the third verb in that Isaiah 55 text is the verb buy. It's in popular usage. I buy that. I don't buy that. It's the language of faith. Do I believe? Do I trust? Do I rely on these things that I hear, that I've come to to God and, and heard from God? Are these values shaping my life? Are these values shaping my schedule? And then finally, eat is really the in, is the language of embodiment. I eat food and eventually it becomes the literal cells of my body. And so in, in much the same way, I eat that which God says, taste and see, you know, the Lord is good. It's like honey, it's, you know. I eat it in such a way that it becomes the very soul within me. All of these words are receptive words. So what I want to try and help people cultivate is a more receptive posture toward God. To do that, you have to slow down. You know, you can't be receptive to God going 80 on the freeway. You know, it's, it's, uh, and I use that as a metaphor, not as a literal. Here in California, you can easily go 80 on a freeway, and that's not hard. And, uh, you know, you could pray during that too if you felt like it. But I'm talking about metaphors, and I'm saying it's hard to be receptive to God. It's hard to practice God's presence. And then maybe just a simple thing would be, at the very beginning of your day, leave your phone alone, take five minutes, and do nothing productive. Don't answer an email, don't check social media, don't start in on your to-do list. Take five minutes as your day begins, and let yourself remember, the Lord is my shepherd. What else could I want? Let that become a simple, daily little moment. Five minutes, we all have to spare. You could do it while you're still laying in bed. You can pretend you're asleep in case your spouse is going to want something from you in those first five minutes, okay? Just take five. This is not as complicated as it sounds. It could, it could, begin, it could begin as simply as planting a seed like that. So that, that's what I might suggest.
1: That's really powerful, that's lovely. that's good, Casey. Yeah. Is there anything you would add to that from your experience or what resonates with you about about what Alan just shared?
2: I would echo everything that Alan said, and i I do think that um, that beginning point that where you start your day is incredibly important for it. I would say one other thing that I would add that is not always possible, but If you look at the idea of unhurried or someone, you know, being a person who walks at a healthy pace, you may know someone who actually is like that. So it could be a a pastor. It could be someone in your community. Uh, The thing I would add is if you want that kind of life, uh, it might be good to find a way to spend some time with that person and just let what is true of them rub off on you as well. And some of those things can be learned just by presence. And they don't tell you, this is how you become unhurried, but just being with them sometimes is enough to say, ah, this is what I'm picking up from this relationship. So that that's the only thing I would add, but that's not possible for everyone. And, um, you have to work with the people who are around you, but if that's possible, uh, I've found great. There's a, a person who was a mentor in. Uh, in my education. And they're the kind of person that walks in a room and everybody's blood pressure goes down like Mm. two or three, two or three points. And I just want to be around that person and just glean from them what it's like to, to be a person who, who becomes like that. However, they, their way of following Jesus led them to be that way. I would like to figure that out as well.
1: That's great. Alan, can you share with us the website and, um, I think an easy thing we all are like connected to our computers in our pockets and whatever is um, the newsletter that you talked about. So tell us more about that and how people can find that and get signed up for that.
3: Yeah, maybe. So the the website is unhurriedliving.com. Maybe the easiest way, if if you go to that page right at the top, you'll see an invitation to join what we call Unhurried Daily. It's actually a 40-day, very tiny Daily email that you'll receive, it's drawn from some of our books, little quotes and little insights, literally would take you less than a minute to read. That would give you 40 days in a row of just some exposure to what we do. And then on that same page, um, at the very bottom, there is a a sign up for the email, though I believe if you join Unhurried Daily, you'll then be added to the uh, daily or the weekly email after that.
1: That's great. Alan, thanks so much for being with us. To end this uh, very dynamic conversation, um, I'm going to shift this into a less, well, an unhurried kind of question. That is, uh, we have the slogan of unity starts with a cup of coffee. And so we'd like to ask, ask our guests if we were having this conversation at a coffee shop, at, at our kitchen table, whatever, what kind of coffee would you order or, or drink, Alan? What, or you can say no, no coffee because coffee tastes gross.
3: No. See, my answer would be more specific than that. Um, you we would be having it at my dining table. It would be nice. the cup of beans I roasted yesterday morning uh, on our barbecue. Uh, they're Ethiopian Sadama beans. They are only 48 hours old. And I would brew them up in a French press, and I would give you a little bit of heavy cream and a little bit of uh, non-sugar, brown sugar, and you would feel like you'd had a real treat.
1: Would it be in a special cup? Because yes. I have a feeling you have a special cup for that.
3: We have a mug that that has a quote from the first book. It says, the one who hurries delays the things of God. So that's my go-to mug.
1: Awesome. Casey, you answered that question on the podcast you were on, but why don't you tell us again what what kind of coffee would you have? Would you uh, maybe you'll just request what Alan's making?
2: I I've had I've had Alan's <gasps> coffee before, oh. so I would I would have that like a couple cups actually. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I don't really drink coffee, but that sounds really fantastic, so I I might go with that as well.
3: <laughs> well, you would a, not a regret that decision. <laughs>
1: uh huh. Yeah. Um, to all our listeners, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being part of this series on spiritual formation. We really hope that you will take a next step into stepping into an unhurried life. And the idea of that we are called into relationship, not service, first is one that I think uh, if we lived out of the relationship with God, and we've heard a lot uh, about this with all of our guests I just wonder what the kingdom would look like, how the kingdom, how the world would be different. And so I'm encouraged and challenged again. And I really appreciate this conversation. Um, we look forward to uh, your new book, Alan, and I'm definitely going to check out Jim's work and um, yeah, everybody check out their podcast. So Casey, we will have you again as well. We really um have had some fantastic guests so um we're blessed and um join us next week on common grounds unity podcast where unity starts with a cup of coffee
0: thank you for listening to the common grounds unity podcast please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are you can subscribe to the essays join our facebook group or find our youtube channel And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this Ministry of Reconciliation. Your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless, and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.